Hey, this is Liberty DeVito, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, I can't afford to be. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today in the Zoom room to promote his just-released book called Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness is legendary drummer Liberty DeVito. How you doing, Liberty? I'm doing well. Uh, legendary. I love that. <laughs> well, look, it's, it's, uh, I don't throw it around. I don't introduce all my guests as legendary, but, you know, I feel that you definitely deserve it because... Um, it's funny, you know, uh, you, you think about, I think about like making all those records and stuff like that. And, and, and people talk to you about how they changed their lives and stuff like that. It was like, we're just a bunch of friends in the studio just doing what we love to do. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> I love, uh, I love to see pictures of the original Billy Joel band because you guys just look like a gang. Right. That's who we were. We're like a gang going in and, uh, and you know, and I even talk about it in the book, how, uh, in the early bands that I was in, we were like a gang, but we played music and we fought with music. And if we won a battle of the bands, we took their girls. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to tell you, this just came to me from the publisher uh, yesterday. So I haven't got a chance to read it. So if I do ask you questions that are in the book, please don't take offense to it. It's just, I've, I've, uh, yeah. I've, I've leafed through it, but I haven't, I haven't dug deep yet, but, um, okay. but I've been a fan since the beginning. So I, Hopefully, I know what I'm talking about. You know everything already. <laughs> well, I don't know if I know it. I only know what I think I know is what I tell people. So, first of all, you got a birthday coming up this week. You're going to be, it's a big one. Can I say it? If you have to. <laughs> 70 years old. <laughs> yeah. I, I always, I used to ask my mother all the time when she was alive. I said, Ma, you make a mistake on my birth certificate. There's no way. <laughs> You, uh, you look great for 70. How has, um, has your age impacted your playing at all? Do you have to change how you play or do you just still go full out the way you always did? I go full out, full out. Uh, you know, it used to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Now it's like four Advil and a Snickers bar. <laughs> and you go for it. And I imagine if there's a night, if you're, if you're, if you're, I don't know, in pain, I don't know if that's even ever the case, the adrenaline kicks in and then uh, you feel great. Oh yeah. When your endorphins kick in, it's all over. You know, it's like uh, any kind of competition or something. You're running and, uh, you know, your endorphins kick in and you don't feel that anymore. You just don't feel it anymore. Nope. And, you know, I some parts rebuilt you know like i got a new right knee and uh i i do have to wear hearing aids because you know the drums made me deaf. yeah you blew you blew them out back in the I day did. i was at, like one of those guys when i was young that i don't need uh, hair, prote hair protection you know i'm going for it so but other than that you know i feel great i walk an hour a day just you know at a fast pace and just to stay uh, in shape. Stay active. Yeah. Well, you look good. I mean, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. It, well, I hope I look this good when I'm my age. <laughs> <laughs> where Where am I talking to you from right now? I'm in Los Angeles. Where are you located? Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn. Uh, my nephew lives in Brooklyn. And um, are you uh, are you quarantining? How are you handling all this lockdown? Well, um, they've opened. You, they haven't opened up restaurants yet. They, mm-hmm. They've set things up on the sidewalk. You know, a restaurant because uh, social distancing. Right. You uh, get a, get uh, go to the restaurant and sit outside, but you can't go in the restaurant no. and eat. Restaurants are delivering, or you can pick it up. Yeah. But you know, we got to wear a mask all the time. And you know, it, it's crazy. It is crazy. And who are you with? Are you, are you, are you with uh, people? You're with family? Uh, my wife and my little daughter. I, I have four daughters. You know, we're all, one turned 40 this year, and then there's, there's 36 and, and 32, and there's three, three-year-olds. That, I have a three-year-old. Now, I have two daughters, and that's when you know time is passing. You still feel the same, but then you see them getting older, and you're like, oh, yeah, we're, I'm getting older, too. Exactly. Exactly. You know, my, my one daughter, when she turned 40, was like, I'm turning 40, dad. Can you believe it? No, I can't believe it because I'm getting older too. <laughs> you, you have a, there's a picture in the book of three of your daughters and, uh, I hope I'm not out of line to say that they are uh, beautiful women. Oh, thank you. I assume, uh, they take after the mom. Well, I'm glad my wife cheated on me. <laughs> uh, the little one, the little one is in, in towards the back of the book. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. She's, well, congrats, yeah. congratulations on your family and congratulations for not being alone during the quarantine. Cause that would be a, that would be a mess. I, I would imagine. Uh, bef- oh. Before we get into, the, it would be terrible if you were just by yourself. It'd be awful. Oh. I know a lot of people that are by themselves. Yeah. You know, me and, too. Like, Getting, you're getting phone calls and it's like, wow, who is this person? You <laughs> yeah, know? they're going crazy. They're going insane. Yeah. Before I go uh, way back, you're, you're, the combo that you play with currently is the Slim Kings. Yes. Tell me, yes a little bit of, tell me a little bit about the Slim Kings, how this came to be and what you guys do. Well, there's two bands. There's the Slim Kings and there's uh, the Lords of 52nd Street. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, Lords of 52nd Street is myself, Richie Cannata, and um, Russell Jabbers, who all right. were all in the original Billy Joel the original band. Billy Jewel band. On that back cover. And uh, yeah, we got together. Um, we got inducted. Uh, yes. And, <laughs> yeah. We got inducted with the late Doug Stegmaier, who's on that cover too, into the Long Island Music uh, Hall of Fame. Excellent. And we were supposed to play one song. We ended up playing uh, five songs. And the crowd reaction was so great that we thought, let's do this. Let, let's get together get some guys and to fill in the space and um let's do some uh, music you know so we go out we do all of billy joel's stuff and um because we played on it sure and uh we we do theaters and and stuff you know outdoor festivals and stuff like that i mean it has almost like stopped dead because of the pandemic exactly but it'll be back well we're doing these uh parking lot gigs now you know oh, um, cool theaters and stuff you know we got a couple of those lined up now the slim kings Every band, every guy that I know that has had success with with a band during the eighties, the early nineties, seventies, whatever, when they start a new band, their band sounds like it's classic rock, right? Just like they came out of, right? You know, I did not want that, so I hooked up with these two guys who are in their early thirties. You know, when I first met them, that one was still in his twenties. You know, <laughs> uh, because. I wanted to be the old school guy. Takes a woman like you to make a man out of me. 
You know, uh, today's music has a lot of familiarity to it, to old, older stuff. You know, like uh, the thing that connects us with the Slim Kings is they'll come in and they'll play me a hip hop tune and they'll say, I want a groove like, let's do it, write a song about a groove like this with a groove like this. And I'll say, that's an old Motown song. <laughs> that, that's the Supremes that uh, use that. That's their groove, you know. So that's what, how we connect right there. You know, they have the fresh ideas. I'm the old school guy. Yeah. And I convinced them to uh, record the last, uh, the new album that we have out um, on tape, you know, so we did it a track. Wow. It was really vintage gear and everything. sound and i really like that so one band uh makes money and the other one band doesn't <laughs> you know <laughs> but both bands are fun both bands are fun to do yes now both bands are fun. when i the, love it when the when you you and the uh Billy Joel band go out. Do you need to get Billy's permission at any point to ask if you guys can do that? Or it's, it's not a thing because you guys played on the records. Well, it's not a thing because we played on the records, but the thing that we had to ask him was, is it okay if we call ourselves the original Billy Joel band? Okay. And he said, Oh, for it. You are. <laughs> yes. Okay. Excellent. And, uh, you know, I, I had met with him in, in the book because he wrote the forward. Mm -hmm. When I went with him, he said, I keep getting all these reviews sent to me about the, uh, the Lords of 52nd street. And they're great, you know, and he, he feels like if we do something great, it's only good for him, you know. Yeah, it, keep, it keeps the yeah. music alive. I had the pleasure of seeing you guys. I saw you on Innocent Man Tour for the first time. That was the first time I saw you. Then I saw The Bridge and I saw Stormfront. So I've seen you play live and I, I love drummers, Liberty. My eye always gravitates, of course, to the front person, but then the next person is the drummer. And right. you're playing is so, it, it, I mean, it's so fun. It's a perfect combination of uh, technique and showmanship. I mean, it, you are a marvel to, to watch up there on stage. I love it. You're pounding, you're slamming, but there's some technique there. It's great. Right, right. Uh, somebody, uh, this great uh, um, drum instructor uh, lives on Long Island, and he said to some kid, I heard, overheard him talking, he goes, when Liberty plays, it's kind of like when John Bonham played, every note counts. Yes. Everything I counts. You know, it's not no this fluffy, you know, right. mashed potato stuff. But um uh yeah, it's um 
a lot of, it was a lot of fun to do that. You know, I see drummers in, in drum clinics and they do all this whip stuff and, you know, like crazy fast stuff. So what I say is like, I'm not really a drummer. I just play one on stage. You know, I just make believe I'm one and you're buying it. You, uh, at the beginning of the book, it starts with a couple sentence quote from you saying that when, uh, you go into uh, a drummer's high. Do you still get that? Is that oh, still a yeah. thing? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, like when I'm in a studio, you know, I do a lot of recordings for young guys. It's mostly uh, guys that uh, come in, they want to record their songs. Uh, they, they have their home studio at home, but not, it's not big enough to record drum, live drums. Right. So come, uh, Richie Canada has a great studio, Cove City out of Long Island. It's state of the art, like old school, the way we used to record with Billy. And I'll go out there and I'll put drums on it. And um, yeah, I still get that that high. I know when it's the right take. You know, I can feel it. And when we play live, I get that, like you said, that, that adrenaline rush that just, you know, gets you, gets you flying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. And it, you also said that when you would record a drum part in the studio during the playback, it, it didn't even feel to you like that was you playing. It was like you were listening to some other person. Right, because you're, you're, you're that... You're the guy concentrating on the song and and you're feeling this whole drum part, but you're not you're not really hearing it. You're you're feeling it. And yeah. You're thinking ahead. When you go back in, you're just sitting there relaxed, listening to it and thinking like, I did that. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> um, so B- Billy Joel wrote the forward to your book. So you guys have uh, you guys have reconnected in, in a good way, I assume whatever bygones be bygones would be the best way to yeah. now yes has uh because i remember the uh couple years ago the hired gun documentary came out and um billy was not painted in the best light but you were just being honest so if that's the way it's painted that's the way it's painted you and right. billy have made amends what about russell have russell and billy also made amends or is that still ongoing and i don't if you don't want to speak for russell that's fine too no, I, I, they haven't met. They haven't sat down and, and, and mm-hmm. talked. But I know that uh, through uh, emails, they've been communicating. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. Because um, uh, at a certain age, I guess you just you just have to let things go, right? Well, that's exactly what I said to everybody. You know, I got to a, a point where I was like, you know, turning 70. And a lot of uh, people that we knew passed away. Yeah. And who's sick, who's not, you know. Uh, and we're still standing, me and Billy. And like I said before, when I was when I was playing with the Lords, when I played with the Lords, and we had to learn the songs again, I fell in love with the tunes again. And all I could think about was what it was like to be in the studio and what it was like to go on the road with those songs. Right. So I had that love back. The only thing I didn't have was the guy that I looked at for thirty years, you know, uh, in the studio and live. Right. So I, I wanted that. I thought this has gone on long enough. This is this is really dumb. Yeah. Right, right. So it was like time to 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 patch it up. And when I wrote him the email, he wrote back right away and said, "Yeah, I felt uh, you know bad how it ended myself." You know, so so good. Well, good for you guys. I do want to say, um, the three times I saw you live with Billy Joel, killer. The shows were were great every single time. I've seen Billy recently, the new band. For me, your drumming, and again, I'm not I'm not bad mouthing anyone. Um, that band is serviceable. They do the, they do the songs, but the original Billy Joel band and your drumming in particular has this feel and this connection to the songs and to the man singing them 
the current touring band doesn't have, and they're never going to have it because you guys created these songs. And uh, right. so I, you know, Billy Joel was great in concert when I did, when I saw him two years ago. He came out here to Dodger Stadium. It was fantastic, but it wasn't the same fantastic for me as it was with you guys. So, no, uh, well, you know, the shows now for Billy are, are you, you go to a show because it's like nostalgia, right? And you hit the rock and roll to me, and it's and it's like people they don't care who's up there on the stage; they want us to hear that song, and they want to remember where they were the first time they heard that song. You know, yes, we built the way we played the original band it's on that back cover the way we played got billy to that point right exactly because prior to walk out yeah and and do the song because there there were albums before turnstiles right that uh that were have good tracks on they're good albums but then just something the switch is uh is clicked from turnstiles right. on it's a different thing because uh you know again when you're I, I i don't play music i'm just assuming like you said when you're in uh, when you're in the studio with guys that are your friends and you're creating this thing together you you guys uh you just have this feeling that we, hey it's us against the world and we're doing it right and and gotta give credit to billy because for street life serenader and piano man he was using studio musicians to do the record and taking a different band out on the road. Yeah. So there was no the records. No. When he came back to New York and he turned down George Martin, Beatle producer, because George wanted to use studio musicians, Billy said, no, I want to use the same guys on the record that are going to go on the road with me. Because he knew that we would play play the stuff to death. But, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. We create the parts. We're playing those parts, seeing the reaction of what we created. You know, right. So and those guys that are playing with them now are just, you know, the drummer's just copying what I did. Exactly. And hopefully, like Ringo, I didn't leave him a whole lot of room to put himself in there. You know, <laughs> exactly. And another thing is, if if the band that makes the album is also touring that album, when you guys are playing live, you guys have a sense of each other. So if you want to stretch out a little bit live you guys know each other and know these songs so intricately that you can do that. Yeah. We did. There was times when, uh, you know, I would try something new. I can remember it so well. We're in a Coliseum somewhere, like 15,000 people. And I tried something new in one of the songs. Okay. Didn't Billy just went up on the microphone and said, what the hell was that? (laughs) But that's the kind of band we were. Right. You know, blackout, uh, Russell Jabber used to black out his teeth with blackjack gum. So so when Billy uh, whistled The Stranger, he, the lights would come on Russell, and, and Billy would laugh, and he couldn't whistle The Stranger. <laughs> and we're playing live in front of thousands of people. So a credit to Billy Joel, anyone who's um, parked behind 
the piano on stage, it's it's difficult to be uh, to entertain the way a front man might uh, be that's behind a guitar or who just sings. But Billy was able to for, somehow uh, get f- out of behind the piano, even though he was still behind it, you know, and really right. and really rock. Like I saw I saw Elton John last year, and Elton is fixed to his piano, but it. And, and he sounds great and the music's great, but he's not a rock and roller and he's not a performer the way Billy Joel is. I mean, it's really, it's really something that you have to hone and Billy Joel, you know, he, he knows yeah. how to do it. When we did those tours with Elton, you know, uh, people used to say, well, what, what's the difference between you and Elton? What, what, what's the difference between the two bands? And I would say that Elton's band were better musicians but we were much better entertainers. That's a good call. That's a good call. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, you're not belittling yourself as musicians, no. but that's a, that's a perfect way to put it. And, and, and I would agree with you because, yeah, they play everything, yeah. you know, and it was, it was the guys, Nigel Olson and, and Davey Johnstone. Those guys were all there for this last tour, but you guys, just something, uh, something different. Um, I mean, that moment of, of flamboyance. Sure, and, you know, sure. Dressing like and <laughs> <laughs> yes all that kind of craziness um, Kenny Aronoff was on my show a couple years ago and I'm gonna tell I told him the same thing that I'll tell you your drumming just like Kenny's is to John Mellencamp's music it is so important and such an intricate part of the sound of those records and um you know by Billy stopped recording in 93 Mellencamp has continued to record without Kenny those records do nothing for me, nothing, because you and Kenny have something, you have a sound and yeah, it just, it just works for, for those songs and those albums. It's just a style of playing Mm -hmm. that we have. It's, it's a free kind of playing. Like, you know, that, uh, well, you saw in Higher Gun when, when Kenny, um, uh, talks about, uh, Jack and Diane. Yeah. That came like, bam. Right. You know, Right there. Then he played it. It was like spontaneous. A lot of the beginnings to the songs with Billy, like Allentown and Uptown Girl, I don't remember rehearsing those things. <laughs> it was spontaneous. This is what I'm going to bow, you know, and we take off. It's funny because the first time Kenny heard me play, we were in, he was living in Minneapolis, uh, you know, up around there. And um, we came to do a show and Kenny came to a show with his wife. And uh, during the show, he told me after this, after we were done, he said, 
I was sitting there and, and I, I turned to my wife and I said, oh, my God, this drummer is so great. I love him. And his wife said, of course you do. He plays just like you. <laughs> <laughs> I often wonder how songwriting works because all the songs are credited words and music by Billy Joel. Yeah. But Billy, he didn't write the drum part. He didn't write nope. the bass part. He didn't write, you know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting to me how that works because the songs would exist without your drum part and without this bass part, but they would, but they wouldn't be the way we know them. Right. Why do the other musicians not get a writing credit of some type? Well, because if you notice on Billy Joel albums, there's no uh, arranged by songs arranged by, unless it's a horn part or a string part. Okay. Because we did all the arranging in the studio. That, that, that's what we did. We met up the drum parts and, and the bass and guitar and did all that arrangements in the studio. And Billy's first manager, uh, Elizabeth, she told me, uh, she says, I knew what those songs sounded like when he left in the morning. And I heard the difference when he came back at night. You know, yeah. but you don't do that because he's signed to the label. Right. He's signed to the label. And, and yes, he would come in and play a song like Just The Way You Are on the Piano. And you're like, that's a great song. I would not leave you in times of trouble. We never could have come this far. I took the good times I'll take the bad times I take you just the way you are We need to enhance it to make it like a pop record so it's big on the thing and in all fairness we were getting a little stipend every time we you know the albums would sell a lot Okay well that's cool to know yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so that that that's the way that that kind of worked out. But um, it was fun. But, you know, he kept us going. He, he knew how to put that carrot in front of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> These albums, uh, they're not just platinum albums. These are multi, 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 multi platinum albums. I mean, I, I don't know. What were you guys feeling when the records were selling for seven, 10 million copies of a record that you five friends put together. I mean, that must be an incredible feeling for sure. You know, it's funny. It's like when, when I w went to that lawsuit that happened, you know, the lawsuit basically was, was over um, uh, internet royalties and stuff like that. Okay. It wasn't over writer's royalties or anything. Like sure, that. sure. It just sounds better that I'm suing for writer's royalties. Right. But what I had the gold album on the wall of greatest hits, uh, platinum album, sales of one million. I got a little carried away when we split, and I kind of was taking albums and, and breaking them on the corner of a table, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in in the lawsuit, the lawyer say said, uh, "Well, what do you want? Do you want anything else? You know, before we left?" And I said, hey, "Can you replace all my gold albums?" I said, "Sure." So they sent me. So wait a minute. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I missed that liberty. I thought you meant you were just breaking vinyl albums. You were breaking your gold and platinum awards. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Continue. I just wanted to paint a better picture of, of uh, how, uh, how you lost your mind for a second. <laughs> yeah. 
So a car pulls up and, and they take out these big boxes, which have all the, um, there's, it was like 11 boxes. with the Wow. No. So I take the you know, first one I open is greatest hit, but one and two. And now remember now I had 1 million copies, right? I take it out and it says to Liberty DeVito for recognition of selling 23 million copies. <laughs> so then you wanted to just break that one too. <laughs> it was like, right. Put it right back in. Again. Yeah. Because you, you know, might, I, you might not have realized it. Yeah. I don't follow thoughts. I don't read the magazines. Sure. It, you, yeah. I'm sure hit, this is, this is what I call um, the, um, the, the Sergeant Pepper syndrome, right? When the Beatles came out with Sergeant Pepper, everybody listened to it. I was 17 years old. Everybody listened to Sergeant Pepper and thought they were the hippest, people in the world because they knew Sergeant Pepper. Well, the Beatles were done with that. They were already on to whatever was next. Right. You know? So I think that's what we do. You, once you do the albums and the tour is over, it's like, okay, what are we doing next? You know, you don't, uh, you don't like just hang out and go, yeah, I'm great. I, look what I did. Right. Okay. I, I see. You're looking for the next thing. Album. Yeah. I, I took the gold albums off the wall once because I really wasn't moving forward. You know, I didn't want to see them. Gotcha. Where where are they now? Are they, are they are they displayed now? Or are they in storage? Where do you have them? Well, the new ones are in storage because uh, I, I live in an apartment, a three bedroom apartment in um, in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and baby's been born. <laughs> she had to take the room that was the music room. Okay. So um, they're in storage right now. Cool. The, the ones that I didn't break that are from the original batch. Yeah. They're like behind me. All right. Cool. <laughs> they're in in a plastic bag or something <laughs> um let me i i, I do want to they're just awards dude. you know it's uh it's quite a thing to achieve that i mean bands don't sell millions and millions i mean there's a few artists taylor swift and, and people like that but you're that kind of music and bands they don't sell albums like that even like the foo fighters aren't selling five and six million albums that's an incredible feat yeah well uh, I think my uh, total with Billy is like 150 million. Like, <laughs> you can't. You see, even, but I don't. I don't own the big house. I don't have the big boat. I don't. <laughs> I don't have any of that stuff. Right. Uh, so it's. I'm just like the the same guy that walked in the studio the first day. Gotcha. I'm a, the same guy, except I have my name that is on all those records. And you know what's funny is that, well, let me, I just want to mention the, the original Billy Joel band, just, just so we do know their names. Liberty DeVito on drums, Doug Stegmeyer on bass, Russell Javers on guitar, Richie Cannata on saxophone and, and other horn, clarinet. And then, yeah, and then, and then eventually uh, David Brown joins on guitars for a while too. Yes. You guys are just as important as the E Street band, but there right. wasn't, but you weren't. Like when, when I go see Bruce, it's Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. When I would go see Billy Joel, it was just Billy Joel. It wasn't Billy Joel and the, right. the band didn't because, have a name. Because the band were, we were a bunch of idiots. We, <laughs> you weren't a bunch of idiots. <laughs> we did band in the studio one day and said, you know, we got to come up with a name. We should come up with an E Street Band. You know, it's like, well, what are we going to call ourselves? The 52nd Street Band or, you know, something like that. It wasn't until Phil uh, called us the Lords of 52nd Street on the credits on the 52nd street uh, album phil ramone yes and that's the name we use now gotcha but we didn't use it back then because it was like eh, we don't want a name no one liked it then we're like bruce springsteen in the east right 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 
It, but yeah, the, the E Street Band is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and for me, you guys are just as important to the sound of Billy Joel's music. I think possibly maybe more important, and because you guys aren't called something on any of these albums, you right. got you guys won't get that kind of recognition ever in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, I, I always say this thing too. It's like um, Ringo Starr was in a band called The Beatles. Yes. I played with a single artist named Billy Joel. Right. What I did in the studio for Billy is exactly what Ringo did in the studio for the Beatles. But he was in a band. Yeah. So he got that recognition. Right. Where I've not, I've worked for an artist. That's why. That's why I was able to be in hired gun and Ringo wasn't. <laughs> That's true. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, you've, you've brought Ringo up twice now. There's a picture of you in the book with Ringo's kit from 2018 at, uh, at a Beatle convention. Is, uh, is, that your, is that your guy? Was he always your favorite drummer? Uh, yeah, well, uh, he's the one that, that made me want to do what I'm doing. You know, in the book, I say that I told Ringo, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And he said, well, at least you're not blaming me for it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but there was other drummers that kind of knocked him off the stool for a while. Like Dino Dinelli from the Rascals. He was like, he was a, like a God drummer to me. He was the one that showed me that the drums could be as much a focus as the lead singer is. He was the one that did that. Oh, for sure. Come on a piece showed me like how powerful the drums could really be. From uh, yeah. from Vanilla Fudge and Rod Stewart and so many That's things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, his picture's in the book too. You say you guys yeah. are still friends. Come on, I have known Carmine since I was like uh, 16, 17 years old. Let me ask you about the book. How did the book come about? Did you did you want to write a book? Did people come to you asking for your story? No, no. I wanted to write down my history for my children. Okay. I uh, my dad. Uh, my mom and dad, they, before they passed away, my dad was 91. My mom was 89 when she passed away. Um, I went and interviewed them on tape, wrote things down, uh, interviewed my aunts that were still alive at the time. Oh, that's great. That's family history. But then when I was writing the family history, I thought, you know, i got to include me in here. What happened with me, with Billy and all that kind of stuff? And um, that, you know, when, when I finally got... Uh, uh, got the offer from Hudson Music that they wanted to publish publish the book. It was really in parts all over the place. You know, we got to group it together, you know, make gotcha. chapters. And um, my wife said to me, she goes, you know, if you sell one book, so what? You, your kids have a history of, of what you've done in life, you know, so. That's a good call. She, she's a smart lady. She is a smart lady. And, and uh, fortunately, it's selling more than one book. <laughs> now, is there stuff that you put in the book that as you're writing it, you were like, uh, I don't really want my kids to read this part, but it did happen. So I'm going to put it in. Well, um, I, you know, my kids kind of knew basically a lot of, of what went on, mm -hmm. um, in, in my life because some, most of it's in there, but there, there was some stuff like I, I talked to my sister today and, um, she read the book and she said, Wow, you really took it easy on your second ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Yeah, well, you know, why should I throw her under the bus?" It, you know, you get older and you realize that, that it was half her, half me. Yeah. You know, it's all her. You know, I know I was a, a creep for a, a while. I was living in a bubble. There was a Billy Joel bubble I right. was in. But you, once it popped, I saw everything from a, a different uh, angle. 
And, and your second ex-wife, do you have children with her? Yeah, two. So see, that's and the thing. This age, you don't want dad bad-mouthing because you're still their dad and that right. woman is still their mom. And so, right. you know, you just got, yeah, I think you did the right thing. Good for you. First ex-wife, one child. Second ex-wife, two, two children. And this wife now, one. And all girls. All girls. <laughs> that's good. I have, that's, that's how our family is too. And I'll take it. You're king of the house. <laughs> you are king of the house. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get to meet, oh, you did get to meet Ringo because you just told me. You just told me, me that. Ringo. Play with Paul. That's right. You've done session work for a bunch of people. Yep. Paul um, being one. Of Paul being one of them. Uh, Meatloaf. Meatloaf played on uh, on uh, Dead Ringer for Love. Johnstone was playing guitar in those too. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I feel like I should see your name more as a session drummer, though. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I see a lot of guys on albums, but your name less than I think I should. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense because you wouldn't buy Starlight Express, uh, the soundtrack to Starlight <laughs> All Express. All right. <laughs> you know, we played with Karen Carpenter and, and, uh, and the, who's the girl that sang. Uh, uh, in the flash dance movie, what a feeling! What's uh, uh, Irene Cara? Or we yeah. played uh, Carly Simon. You've played with, huh? You did some session work for Carly Simon. Carly Simon, uh, John Hyatt. Okay, you cool. They were on soundtracks for movies and stuff. Like gotcha. That. I see. Some of it that you don't get credit on it. It's right. Just the, you know, but yeah, but I spent most of my time with one guy. Yeah. You know, we weren't. Oh, we were making the record. When when you were when you were done being uh, in Billy Joel's band, no bands came calling to get Liberty DeVito in their band. Oh yeah, they did. They and you did. you um, you just needed a break. You know, uh, well, Blue Oyster Cult was the first one to call. <laughs> okay, so. and from Long Island too. You know, and I, sure. I, I love those. I love those guys. But uh, being with Billy for thirty years. I had no idea like what the going rate is for a drummer when he gets hired. Right. Uh, what happens? What do you do? You know, I had no idea. I had to, I had to get out of this hole that I fell in. You know, I fell into a hole and I didn't start getting out until um, one of, one of the guys from the, the symbol company that I was endorsing, he said to me, you have got to stop saying that you are formerly Billy Joel's drummer or that you used to play with Billy Joel. No, no, no. You are the guy that Billy Joel chose to make those incredible records and those unforgettable tours. That's who you are. That's when I realized, okay, that's cool. Yep, no matter what happens, my name's on that record. That's for sure. When, you know, when the radio stations play it, 
yeah, that's me playing the drums, you know. Come out, Virginia, don't let me wait. You Catholic girls start much too late. All oh, sooner or later, it comes down to fate. I might as well will be the one. Well, they showed you a statue, told you to pray. They built two temples and locked you away. Ah, oh, but they never told you the price that you pay for the things that you might have done. Only the good die young. And every time he puts out another album from the past, like he digs stuff out of the vault, yeah, I'm I'm still current. You know, I'm still doing it. I don't, I don't have to play anymore. So he just wanted you to say the same thing you were saying, but say it in a pot more positive way. Exactly. exactly. Uh, I want to go through some of the albums. I want to tell you what my favorite um, Liberty DeVito studio performances are, you know, per each album yeah. you played on. And then you can tell me if uh, if you if you agree with my choice and the, or you can tell me what your favorite performance is on those okay. albums. Also, I want to backtrack for one second. Yeah, when a band like Blue Oyster Cult calls for you, and there's no disrespect to Blue Oyster Cult, but you've been touring with Billy Joel, so it's been first class, a list all the way for all those tours because the album sales never dwindled. So you guys were right. always top of the charts. So then to hook up with a band. And, you know, have everything not be as grand might not be that fun either. <laughs> no. Uh, the playing, the playing, the stage time would be great, but then the other stuff might not right. be great. Right. I needed time to, um, to just get my ducks in order, just to right. get my together, you know, from what happened to what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And it was probably fun to... Uh, a little bit of fun to spend. Uh, you probably had more time with uh, the family and the kids. Oh yeah, yeah that that was that was good. But uh, you know, it was still like working out of that hole. Was, was <laughs> oh, I'm but, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. The check stop. The too. check stop. Yeah. yeah, that's a bummer. That's a big yeah. bummer. Are there album residuals though? I mean, do you get? Do you still get an album residual? You get you get a session fee or whatever you get paid and. No, um, no mailbox money from those albums. No, I explained it in the book. We were getting um, bonuses. Every yes. time it sold copies, you get a bonus and stuff like that. But when Billy got um, uh, screwed by his uh, one of his managers, and uh, he took all everything back because yes. he, he was broke. You know, he got screwed so badly, and uh, he actually said, "I feel like I'm, I'm Peter stealing from Paul, but I got to do this." And he and he stopped those royalties, and. Uh, so yeah, so that ended. Okay. Um, what we get now is you get uh, intellectual properties when the songs are played on the radio and okay. stuff. You know. All right. Well, so, so something. Uh, so I'm going to go through the um, I'm going to go through the uh, the studio albums, but I just want to add that uh, you're drumming on songs in the attic and the the live oh. album from Russia are just stellar, all the way around. Your drumming makes those live albums just you know burst through the car speakers.
so good. Okay, uh, well, my, I'm saying like this. Why did he pick those two? I think I heard songs in the attic twice, and I never listened to the Russian album. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound great on it, and uh, I probably have blisters from uh, drumming on the steering wheel of my car listening to those albums. So, yeah. bravo. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to Turnstiles. And yes. um, Billy produced this album himself. Phil Ramone wasn't involved in this album. But, I mean, again, the, I, I love this album, but you can't go wrong with uh, Prelude, The Angry Young Man. I mean, you're just killing it on that, uh, on that song. That was a good one. Um, you know, it was put together in, in pieces, like the beginning, then the body of the song, and then the end. Um, yeah, I like that one. I like what I play on on that record. I I also I love Summer Hound Falls. That's that's like my favorite song on the, on that album. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, too. Yeah, that's a good one. So, 1977, this is, this is when it really starts. The, the Strangers, I assume this is a make-or-break album for Billy. I think it's the fifth Plus. one. It's the fifth one. Um, nowadays, you would not get five albums. You would get no. one. And if it's not a hit, maybe two, but probably not. So, here we go. Fifth album. You guys aren't matinee idols. So, I mean, you know, they can't really sell posters and stuff of Billy Joel. So the music's got to gotta be the thing. So Phil Ramone comes in. How important is Phil Ramone to the Stranger album? Phil Ramone is so important because when Phil came to see us play, so I was at Carnegie Hall. Uh, we met with him after the show. And he said, uh, before that, Billy was always getting, like, from producers, when somebody would come in or something and we'd be playing... The producer would would try to tame us down and just try to you know tell us what to do and everything like that. Phil told us he said, "I want you guys to be the rock and roll animals that you are on stage when you come into the studio. That's what I want." He wanted that energy. He honed it 
into making pop songs, you know, where um, it, there's great songs on turnstiles. Sure. But like, like maybe Say Goodbye to Hollywood is a pop song, you know, maybe. I mean, you wouldn't hear um, uh, anything else as a as a forty five, right? So he took us and and, and made us um, into uh, pop records, you know, like moving out and just the way you are, and you know, uh, there's a live from Carnegie Hall where we're playing just the way you are, and it's totally different than when we got in the studio with Phil. You know, it's more like a, a Stevie Wonder feel, you know, like you are the sunshine of my life, like that kind of thing. I promise from the heart mm-hmm. I could not love you Any better I love you just the way you So you guys would sometimes workshop a song live before it was even on a record. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we did that, especially with um, uh, Glass Houses. We were actually in the middle of uh, recording Glass Houses when we went and did the tour. Just to see what the reaction of the crowd would be. You know, I think we were doing You May Be Right and Sometimes a Fantasy. I can't imagine those not going over well, even if people had never heard them before. Well, you'd be surprised, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, in the, 
in, in the drum stool and, and when Stormfront was out and starting, uh, I go to extremes and then seeing the line of people going out to the bathroom. Oh my God. You know, they weren't familiar with it. I hate, I hate those people that leave the show when they aren't into a song or don't want to give a song a chance. Right. Um, well for me on the stranger, one of the high points drum wise, although I, I it was hard to pick, uh, get it right. The first time is excellent. I hope that looks don't deceive. I ain't got time for true confessions. Gotta make the move right now. Got to meet that girl somehow. Get it right the first time. That's the main thing. Oh, I can't afford to let it pass. You get it right the next time. That's not the same thing. Oh, gonna make a first time late. Somebody, somebody did a review of Get It Right the first time at one point, and he says he sounds like Steve Gadd on a thousand cups of coffee. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> no, it's not, not a bad thing at all because that was my intention to try to sound like Gadd, you know. Because at the time, Phil was uh, all, all the guys in stuff; they were all recording, and a lot of those guys play on the Stranger album. Richard T's on it, I think, uh, Eric Gell's on it, a bunch of singers, you know. So. Yeah, they, they were the they were the thing in in New York City at the time. So uh, after you record the Stranger, do you do you guys have any f- inkling that you have something great here, or does it just feel like another album? Does it feel different? Do you you know before it's released, do you guys really feel like this is this is great? No, uh, just <laughs> like it sounded really good. Right, I remember listening to it. When, when Columbia came in and they had the listening thing in the studio, it was like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's good. It's good. What am right. I going to say? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, because it's, but, one of, it's one of those things you don't know what the public's going to do. Yeah, we're going to be rich. The first time I actually heard the album in, the full, in full was me and Phil Ramon. He came on the road with us for the, for the album. And uh, when it finally came out and it was played on the radio, me and him were sitting, standing in a kitchen in a hotel listening to it on a small little radio. <laughs> <laughs> Did it sound good coming through the small radio? Yeah, it sounded really good. All right, there you go. Uh, let's move on to 52nd Street. Just a, a year later, which is unbelievable to me, I thought maybe the uh, the label would want to milk The Stranger for like a year and a half, two years, but you guys come right back the next year with 52nd Street. And uh, the song, I think, for me, Stiletto. And there's a part in the middle where the uh, piano and drum, it's almost like a duet back and forth, and then the sax comes in. It's, right. it's perfect for me. I love that song. She's so good with her
Yeah, the bass is doing the line that the left hand of the piano does. That would be the genius of Doug Stegmeier. Yes, and and I'm doing this thing like whatever I'm doing there, and yeah, that was cool. That that was a cool part to do, and then the sax comes in and it just takes off like boom. Yeah, it's terrific. Is that? Do you have any other favorites from Fifty Second Street, or did I nail it with my choice? Oh well, I like Zanzibar. That's pretty cool. Because we got to play the, like this swing thing in the middle of it and Freddie Hubbard playing trumpet. Are you kidding me? That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> the Billy Joel albums then, each one starts to have its own sound or, right. or your different, your different feel. The Glass Houses is my favorite. It's because, I don't know, maybe I was, I was 16 when it came out. It was, uh, it was just a, it's kind of a punky, kind of a new wavy, rocking, yep. skinny tie type of an album. And it's always been my favorite. I love uh, I Don't Want to Be Alone Anymore. Mm, so here I am standing, waiting in the lobby, sweating bullets in a stupid old suit. And when she sees me, she busts out laughing. You're a sad side, honey, but you look so cute. And I don't want to be alone anymore. So cool. I love that one. And then sleeping with the television on is just uh, slamming. So those are great. Television 
those are, those are two good ones. I also like um, uh, Lena, all for Lena. Oh yes, it's a- and and I do like close to the borderline. Another good one. It, again, it was hard That's for me to. That's similar Tom Tom in the middle when he does sings the bridge, like um, the other one we're talking about. Stiletto, uh, or the, yeah. yeah, okay, cool. All right, excellent. What was it like working with when you went to work with? You've been working with these same guys, and been working with Billy Joel, and now you're asked to go over and work with Meatloaf and some other people. Is it fun, or are you like, ah, oh, this isn't how it is with Billy? Do you just adapt? Yeah. No, it was, it's exciting. It's okay, exciting. Cool. It's like, wow, this is really cool, you know? You know I was with David Johnstone in the, in the same studio, and it's like everybody else, everybody was just having fun. That was a fun, those were fun sessions. Okay, excellent. Good. Good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I presented the question negatively. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure the next album, 1982, I think, I think I've heard you say this is your favorite album of, by Billy Joel that you played on, Nylon Curtain. Would that be correct? Yes. What, why is that one your favorite? It was a tip of the hat to the Beatles, you know. Um, and I think Laura is the closest to the Beatles we got. Oh, I mean, on Glass Houses, there's uh, Through the Long Night. Yes. And that's really Beatles because it's got that guitar, you know, like, uh, and, and that song, uh, Through the Long Night, is mixed with the band on one side and the vocal on the other side like you used to get the stereo mixes of the Beatles songs yep. uh, but Glass Houses La- the song Laura when when the instrumental part comes in that song and I'm listening to it I think to myself am I, am I listening to the Beatles right now or is this us playing you know we really nailed that Put the in my chair, in my chair. Even though I face the electrocution, she always says I'm wrong. 
Yeah, Laura's a, Laura's a great one. And where's the orchestra too? Can has a little bit of Beatle esque sounding things in there. Oh, definitely, definitely. But the song that I, that I chose, and it was a single, and it was a hit, uh, because you and Doug sound so good on it, is Pressure. was a good one yeah pressure was a really good one that 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 one just like uh you know it starts with this mood it just sets a mood and just takes off you know when he goes into the second half of the verse you know that that, that was a, that's a good one yeah that, that's why i love that whole album i mean scandinavian skies is like Whoa. that's our, our acid song yeah you know? there's a lot of diversity on nylon curtain there's a lot of uh texture to it yeah but yeah. but still it produced big hits, Allentown, Goodnight Saigon, yep. and Pressure. So yep. even even when Billy would want to change up the sound a little bit, people accepted it. Now if an artist wants to do take a left turn, people are like, oh, I don't want that. But right. you guys were able to step sideways, you know, or out of your lane for a full album, and people yep. were full on in it. That's how popular you guys were back in the day. And it was just the opposite with the, with the critics. The critics didn't like Stranger in 52nd Street. They loved Nylon Curtain. But the Nylon Curtain didn't sell anywhere near what um, the Stranger in 52nd Street in right. Glass Houses. I think it sold two million. So it's funny, like th- that takes a dip, but it's still a double platinum album. Which is, which is, it's, it's funny when you think of it that way. When Billy would come in with a, like he comes in with the collection of songs for let's say, uh, Glass Houses, does he tell you guys, this is the feel I want for this album, or no, you guys just work it out? Well, first of all, he doesn't come in with a collection of songs. Okay. He makes two songs, you know, but he's got some ideas. Okay. And we'll play them uh, with him, you know, the ideas. And if the ideas swing, he'll go home and write them again. You know, he'll finish writing them. You know, but he's got to make sure that, that, that it swings. But, like Glass Houses, he, he his idea was to go back to being a bar band again. Okay, that makes sense. Nylon Curtain, Nylon Curtain, he says, I don't want you to even think how you're going to reproduce this live. Whatever has to happen, let it happen in the studio. Wow, that's cool. That makes sense now when you hear that album. Yes, exactly. That's how it goes. Yeah. I remember seeing a, it was, I see either saw an interview or read an interview with Billy Joel. Like they were asking him, where's the box set and where's all the unreleased stuff and all the bonus tracks. And he said, there's, there isn't any, we would write, we, we had 10 songs. We recorded 10 songs. That's the album done. Yeah. That's all he wrote. Yeah. 
ear is what he wrote for the album. Not like Bruce that wrote wrote thirty songs for right. twelve song album. No, it's I funny because I did write them the other day and I said, "What's left in the vault?" You know, <laughs> uh, there's the Boathouse tapes. That's that's River of Dreams. Uh, the 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 sessions that I did. For okay. River of Dreams. And there might be leftover from uh, songs in the attic. You know. Yeah, like expand that out. A little bit, but uh, yeah, I it, I almost feel like that's more of a genius where you're like, I got ten songs, that's the album, I got nothing else, and then all those songs are winners. Because for me, the Billy Joel catalog is very strong. The albums that you play on, like, there's not there's not like one that I skip over. You know what I mean? Other bands, yeah, yeah I, I like a ton of bands, but there's always a track on an album where I'm like, I'm not digging that one. But these right. albums are so solid, top to bottom this period when you're in the band, it's one of the best, you know, runs of individual albums that I've ever heard. I'm just, I'm just kissing your ass. That's all I'm doing, but I'm, but I'm being truthful. Pat yourself in the back. You deserve it. Now, 1983, we got an innocent man. This is a whole, this is a whole new, like, I don't even know how you would even Billy and you guys would even think that people would embrace this, but it, but at that point, you guys don't care. This is what you guys want to do. This is each, each individual song is like a tribute to the bands that you guys, I guess, grew up with and love, like, uh, you know, the Four Seasons or whoever it would be. Well, exactly. Four Seasons, Uptown Girl. Yeah. Drifters, uh, Innocent Man, uh, like James Brown with, uh, with uh, Easy Money, mm-hmm. you know, all those. That album was probably one of the most fun albums to make because the basic tracks only took two and a half weeks to do. Well, it, it, uh, it's fun just to listen to. I remember when this came out in, uh, in 1983, you know, I, I remember bringing my mom up to my bedroom to play it for because, you know, I knew that she would, you know, she might not care for Billy Joel, but I knew that she would like these songs because they were like songs that she would have heard when she was a teenager. Yeah, well, um, it's funny because a lot of girls, you know, women liked it because things were dark at that time uh, on the radio, you know, the yeah. bands and stuff. And this was like, everybody was like, this is like a breath of fresh air. It's a party. You know? It's a fun party. Yeah. yeah. You're at the sock hop. It's great. But you mentioned Easy Money. That opens the album. And you are killing. I mean, it just, the album opens up with, like, boom, right in your face with Easy Money.
the action Take me to the track Take me to a party If they're betting in the back I've been working all my life Can't afford to wait Let me call my wife So I can tell her I've been late I want to ease it One of my favorites. The first One thing, yep. The, if you ask me, like the top three, I think that would have to be in the top three. The first thing we hear, I think, is is you. Yeah. You open the album. It's it's great, and you needed to open the album like that to get people hooked. Right. I, I, so good. Okay, good. We're on the same page. 1986, The Bridge, again, Running on Ice, opens the album, and you're yes. you're killing it. That was another one that was supposed to be for a movie. You know, um, Sting was asked to write that's the song for the movie. Mm-hmm. So Billy, because Sting couldn't do it, um, they said they wanted like a police-esque kind of tune. Yeah, so that, I can I can hear that now that you say that in this song. Yeah. You guys get to work with Ray Char- Charles on this album? Yeah, Baby Grand. But actually, to, in all honesty, Billy went out to L.A. to do that. Okay. Ray wanted his guys. Okay. So Vinny Caluda plays the drums on that one. Oh, okay. I should, yeah. I should, I should be better. I, I should know better. Liberty. I dropped the you ball. Really? I dropped the ball. Um, <laughs> no, I, I could have taken the credit for it. See? <laughs> <laughs> you could have, you, I don't think you would ever have done that. Um, no. when you guys are recording, are you guys re- playing, uh, I'm talking about all the albums. Are you guys always playing live together in the studio? Are there a lot of overdubs or anything? No, what's, what's a lot of overdubs. Live in the studio. Billy singing. Most most of the vocals that are on those records is Billy singing at the time. How difficult were some of those vocals for you guys to do on uh, on the Innocent Man album? There's some, uh, the great background vocals. There's a lot of high notes. Well, Billy Billy did all the vocals on um, uh, for the longest time. Okay. That's all Billy. Wow. But he had some men to do, um, you know, like the Tell Her About It backgrounds mm. and that kind of stuff. And then I yeah. know, I know in concert for this album, um, it's hard to, it's hard to hit those notes every night. So, you know, you guys would augment with some background singers and that's understandable and yeah. cool. While Crystal was doing it, Crystal uh, wrote, he, she would, he, he would hit the high note for Billy. I am that one. Crystal, how do you say her last name? Talaferio? Talaferro. Yeah. Yes. Did you guys, Billy stole her from uh Mellencamp, didn't he? <laughs> good for her <laughs> good for you guys um okay so the bridge this ends this ends the phil ramone chapter yes uh, we go to stormfront why why no phil ramone 
Uh, I think, well, you can see by the albums, Billy likes to change. He's always changing things up. Yeah. Even with members of the band and, and stuff like that. And so it was time for a different, go in a different direction, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and Stormfront was the, was the one. And Mick Jones from Foreigner comes in and, uh, he, uh, co-produces, he had had some success producing Van Halen and yeah. he was putting it, I think Foreigner was kind of on a break. So he was, uh, putting his toe into producing. Was he, was he a fun guy to work with? Mick? Um, he was cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think he was expecting something more from me. Okay. And he didn't get it until the Downeaster Alexa, you know, because he, he always heard me as, as this, this really creative drummer. And the songs that we were doing in the beginning didn't really need that much, like, creativity to create a certain sound mm -hmm. uh, of the subject that Billy was singing about until the Downeaster Alexa. I got bills to pay and children who need clothes. I know there's fish out there, but where God only knows. They say these waters are in what they used to be. But I got people back on land who count on me. So if you see my down Easter Alexa, and if you recorded that and I went back in the, in the control and he goes that's the Liberty DeVito I've been waiting for <laughs> but in your mind you're not doing anything different the whole time you're still being you he just wasn't he was expecting yeah. something different yeah right. and maybe it was like a roundabout way of just saying to Billy like why don't you write something that's more creative <laughs> I don't know <laughs> uh, well Down Easter is probably my favorite song on the album but the one I picked as far as drumming for you was one you brought up earlier is I Go to Extremes because there's, yeah, there's some killer drumming on that. I remember uh, that one, especially at the end, we were listening to one of the takes that we did and it wasn't the take. And Mick did say, he goes, you know, at the end on the tail, when you're fading out there, an English drummer would go to the bell, you know? So it's like, okay, I'll go to the bell. <laughs> <laughs> because Mick was English. So that's why he's, uh, yes. that's why he's dropping that in your lap. A lot of touring for Stormfront. Fun to all yeah. the tours. Were you still having fun on all the tours? Pretty much, yeah. Still, still having fun. And uh, even on Stormfront, you guys are still you guys. You guys, the Billy Joel band has not yet been fractured, so you guys are still out there. Well, and, just, me and David Brown are just there. 
You guys yeah. were the only guys on Stormfront? Yes. Again, I'm just going to hold this up and people, uh, you got to read the book so you know all the stuff that I'm dropping the ball on. Just you and David Brown. Okay. Yeah. But he knew, you know, you're so intricate that you have to stick around. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Then we move on. 1993, River of Dreams. You, you only play on one song. And it's great. And it's one of my favorites on the album. And, That's uh, why. and yeah, and you do. And, and so there were sessions where you played on a bunch of these songs is what you just uh, told us a couple minutes ago. I, uh, I think I played on probably um, maybe six or seven tunes that are on there mm -hmm. that we did. We did um, uh, No Man's Land. We did, uh, what else did we do? Shades of Grey, Blonde Over Blue, um, uh, uh, River of Dreams, mm -hmm. that one. Uh, there's another one on there. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Something. Great Wall, was it Great Wall of China. Is that is that it? Exactly. Okay. That one. Yeah. So, how do you know that you're not in the band anymore? Do you know that you're not going to be touring anymore when you're no. when you're recording? Oh, yeah. at, this, no, at this point, at, no. No, at this point, at this point. Um, he brings in Danny Kochmeyer to produce. Yes. He tried one by himself, but too much. Yeah. So he brings in Danny Kochmeyer. Danny wants to bring in his own guys. Okay. That he's familiar with. Billy never did anything without me. So he figures, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. This is a good time to do that. Okay. But the way the album came out, it, it was Billy's choice to put, um, Shades of Grey, my Shades of Grey on the record, you know. So, um, yeah. So that's how that worked. That's out. how that worked out. Okay. But but didn't, but there wasn't the end because he called me when he was doing it, uh, and he said, "Yeah, you'll always be my drummer. You you know, we're gonna go on the road, but I need to uh, try this." Okay. Try. So at that point, you, know, you thought you like, were okay. Cool. I was in a, a win-win situation. Yeah. If if the bombed. I would say, yeah, see? Yeah. I told you, you didn't tell me. If it made if it did great, we tour forever. You tour forever, yeah. Yeah. But then so, but the tour didn't happen for you. No, this tour did. You I did was with the, Yeah, this is the one that had the Elton stuff on okay, it. Okay, here it we was, go. Here we go. This it's all in the book, yeah, people. Okay. Read the, read, 
fucking book, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I just got it last night, I swear. But um, and I can't wait to read it. But um, okay, so you so you weren't on the tour, and um, what was I it? Like? Did, uh, we did the River of Dreams tour. It was called River of Dreams. Uh, so many years, years. <laughs> I mean, River of Dreams. When did it come out? Ninety three. You guys, ninety three. Guys probably uh, toured for four years on this easily. Well, when did we start with Elton? I'm not because sure what year that was, but just Elton. whatever the, this was the last album. So any tours that come after it, you're still touring that album, so to speak. Okay. So 93 and I left in, um, 2003. Okay. So 10 years, 10 years. You're, you're touring that last album. That last album. <laughs> album. Yeah, almost 10 years with Elton, too. Yeah. Now, after that album, Billy announces that he's not going to make any more new music. No more music. And and he, and he he's and, and for me, as a fan, I just thought, that means he's going to take an extended break, four years maybe, five years, and then right back in it. He stuck to that. Surprise, surprise. It's, it's unbelievable to me, because if you're a singer-songwriter, your brain doesn't just stop thinking of song ideas it couldn't possibly right well you know the business can be very discouraging Mm -hmm. um that could be a big part of it you think the business would be so discouraging that would shut off that part of your brain that you wouldn't even well that and you're you're tired of exposing your life okay everything about what what was going on in his life at the time yeah i mean on front if you listen to um um State of Grace. Yeah. You know they're splitting up. his autobiography and then pulled it at the last minute because he yes. didn't want it all out there. And then it came out by some guy named Fred something. I don't know what the hell's name was. You know, I only read it. I only like an official biography or autobiography. Right. Your book, um, there's no co-writer on it. It's just listed to you. A lot of, I have tons of autobiographies where people have a co-writer. Uh, these are all your words. You're happy with every single word on every single page. Yeah. Excellent me i mean people help me uh like putting the dots over the all the eyes sure sure you have a story an editor uh yeah uh uh joe rosenblatt um uh not joe rosenblatt who who did it um yeah the editors Mm -hmm. they uh, apart the 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 part about my drums you know it comes out to every chapter Mm -hmm. that was one chapter and it was uh 
really long. So they split it up. Gotcha. You know? How many pieces are in Liberty DeVito's drum kit? What do you take out on, what would you take out on the road with, let's say a big Billy Joel tour? What would you be sitting behind? Oh, right now? Let's see. Uh, right now with the Lords, I play a uh, bass drum. One, two, three toms up top. Okay. And two up the floor. That's, and that's all you need? That's it. When you see a drummer that has a ridiculously crazy kit to where they don't even play half, uh, you know, half of the drums that you're watching, it's kind of silly. It is silly. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I, didn't, I had that set up on uh, the Billy tour and the sound guys used to call the last tom-tom, the last floor tom, the coffee table. They call it the coffee table because you hardly ever get to never it. Never get to it. And we had a, 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 a tech, a guitar tech, named Chainsaw that used to be under the stage and he he bought, had a hot dog roller underneath there and a popcorn machine and all kinds of stuff like that and sometimes like during She's Always a Woman to Me I'd see like a slice of pizza come up on the coffee table <laughs> and I could eat during the show that's great hot dogs on, on that well my the drummers I love the most I'm most impressed with a drummer who just has a simple kit and is getting so much sound out of it. To me, I'm like, well, that guy's, that guy's <laughs> the real deal. And, uh, and yeah. again, for me, that's, that's you. And that's, that's a Kenny Aronoff. Here's a question for you. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Eight years ago, James Taylor and Carol King went out and they played with the original James Taylor band with, uh, right. Lee Sklar and Danny Korchmar and Wadi Wachtel and Russ, Russ Kunkel. Those guys are out now doing something. Yeah, those guys are, they're known as the immediate family. It's, it's, yes. like, it's, like, it's like what you guys do, but they're, and they're recording, they recorded an right. EP. Great guys. If Billy ever called you guys up and said, you know what, we're going to do a tour and I want to do it with you guys again, yeah. are you in for that? If it's with Russell and Richie, yeah. That's what I mean. I'm, I'm talking all the guys. I'm talking, oh, he wants yeah, to do yeah. the original Billy Jewel band with respect yeah. to Doug Stegmeyer who's not with yeah. us, but you, you'd be down for that. Yeah. David Santos, he did a couple of tours with us on the river of dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Played bass. Yeah. It's funny. That's exactly what Kenny told me the same thing. If, if Mellencamp called and said, I want that original Mellencamp band from the eighties, we're going to tour. Kenny said, Oh yeah, I'm all in. I love that music. Yeah. It'd be nothing better yeah. than to play that music. Sure. All right. Liberty. Let me tell everyone right now. First of all, thank you so much for giving me this time out of your day. I really appreciate it. You were, you were excellent. Exactly how I hoped you would be. Seriously. I love it. Uh, the book is out right now. Uh, this copy, I ordered a copy from Amazon that hasn't arrived yet. This one came to me from the publisher. I'm going to give this away to one of our listeners, but this is uh, Liberty. It's uh, Life, Billy, and the Pursuit of Happiness by Liberty DeVito, forward by Billy Joel. The, bill, the, the forward's very lovely. It's very nice. Um, it's a uh, it's a different Billy Joel than I've even heard in interviews in the past few years. It can, I can tell it's, this is a, a guy that's settling in uh, yeah. to his later years and is comfortable with letting, uh, letting things just roll off his back. When this episode drops, I'll be editing music into the entire episode. Right. Is, is there a, a specific Liberty DeVito performance that you would like me to play as our playout song? <laughs> <laughs> Difficult, I know. Yeah. What would you like? Uh, well, my favorite, my, one of my favorite songs, I think, tells everything in in the book is honesty. Okay. You, you know, 
All right. That's the one. Honesty. Honesty is a good one because it's like about how so many people aren't honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Again, I can't wait to really read the book. I want to thank Andy Gilmartin for setting this up and the people at Hudson Music for releasing this book and sending me this one to give away. Liberty, you stay safe, healthy, and well, you and your family. And uh, if you ever get to L.A., I'm going to look you up. I'm going to come see you guys play. Whoever whoever you're playing with, I'm coming. And if I get to Brooklyn, because my nephew lives in Brooklyn, I'm going to search you guys out to see you play also. Pizza. Come on, we'll go for pizza. Okay, pizza. That would be that would be a thrill. Thank you so much, Liberty. Take care. Thanks. We'll see you. If you search for tenderness, it isn't hard to find. You can have the love you need to live. But if you look for truthfulness, you might just as well be blind. It always seems to be so hard to give. Honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. If I wear my heart out on my sleeve But I don't want some pretty face To tell me pretty lies All I want is someone to believe Honesty Nothing while I'm gone.